But I love the season of Advent. Uh, I think it is perhaps my favorite season of, of the church year. I love the music. Um, I think O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that's what we just sang, uh, is a hymn I just simply never get tired of. Um, I, I love uh, just some of the, the imagery of, of the lights coming into the darkness. I love the themes of, of this longing and, and expectation and having this time that we set apart in the church here to at- intentionally be looking and watching and waiting for that promise that Christ is coming again. Uh, I love the Advent wreath. I, I can think back to, uh, to my childhood and and gathering around the dinner table with my parents during the Advent season and, and lighting each candle of the Advent wreath and getting more and more excited as you get closer and closer and closer to that center candle when we proclaim once again how Christ has come into the world and how we cling to that hope that He is coming again to set us free from, from sin and death. I love Advent. But at the same time, I have to admit that as much as I love Advent and as much as I love this season of of hopeful expectation, uh, Advent is for me, well maybe not Advent, but but sort of congruent with Advent, is sort of a season of temptation. As much as, as I'm called to be watching and expecting the coming of Jesus. I find that this is a time of year that I struggle with a great deal of temptation because this is a time of year that just feeds on my tendency toward materialism. The advertising. The the texts from family members asking, Marcus, what do you want for Christmas this year? In fact, uh, just the other day, uh, my wife, she said to me very kindly, very graciously, I, I must add, she said, I think, Marcus, sometimes I think that you have like your next four gifts picked out. <laughs> and I think I replied either with just sort of silence or with something along the lines of, nah, <laughs> which translates, I, I think, exactly to, you're right, but I don't want to admit it. See, one of the things that I realize about myself is that during this season, even though my heart, my mind, my soul is called to be caught up into this experience of longing and expecting the coming of Christ, what often happens to me is my heart and my mind are caught up in this longing and expectation of the coming of stuff. And it serves as this reminder for me that Temptation is just this unavoidable reality of life as we know it right now. That as soon as as I long to be sort of caught up in in holiness and pursuing the things of God, it seems that temptation is lying right around the corner. But the hope that we have and the hope that we celebrate and we cling to is that in those temptations whether you're like me and have that temptation toward materialism or if it's something else, that in those temptations we have this promise that God is with us and that God desires to rescue us from those temptations. In fact, we see that in in our gospel lesson 
uh, we see this way that God promises the presence of himself in the midst of our temptation. Once again, this comes right after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. This place where God has declared, this is my son, listen to him. And what immediately happens after that? He's driven into the wilderness to be tested. And again and again, we see the sonship of Jesus called into question by the enemy. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it begins like this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I always find this phrase, this, this sentence very interesting. The way that Jesus' temptation by the devil is introduced Certainly we see here very plainly that this temptation is carried out by whom? By the devil, by Satan. The tempter, the the father of all sin is the one who tempts and tests Jesus here. But before we're told that, notice who leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. So we see sort of this complicated relationship, at least for Jesus in his temptation, that yes, this is from the devil. Yes, this is from Satan. But at the same time, this temptation is the will of God for Jesus. This testing of Jesus. And I think we discover something in that about our own temptations. That while it is the enemy of God who tempts us and who desires to lure us into sin, even in that temptation, God's will is still being done. God's purposes for your life are still being carried out. And even though the devil, even though the enemy longs for your harm in temptation, God promises that for those who love him, he will carry these things, even these temptations, out for your good. And we see how this happens for Jesus. He's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Seems obvious. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this first temptation, Jesus is enticed by the enemy to use his power to feed the desires of the flesh. The enemy comes to Jesus in the midst of a moment of weakness where he's been fasting, he's hungry, he's tired, he's weak and vulnerable. And he comes to Jesus and he says, I know you're hungry. And if you're the Son of God, just use your power to command these stones to become bread. Feed the desires, feed the longings of your flesh. And how does Jesus respond to this temptation? He responds by quoting the scriptures, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth 
of God. Jesus is tempted, and the way that he responds is with the word of God. And we see that pattern continue as Jesus is tempted two more times. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for after all, it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here Jesus is is enticed by the enemy to test God. To throw yourself off the temple. Now it's interesting that his temptation here takes a little bit different shape. Because what does Satan use to tempt Jesus here? He actually uses the scriptures. He says, look, God has promised he'll command his angels concerning you. He's promised that they'll bear you up. They won't let you strike your foot against a stone. He's quoting Psalm 91 here. He is using the scriptures. He's twisting them. And in tempting Jesus to put God to the test, what he is doing is he is, caught, or is he is tempting Jesus to abuse God's promises. Saying God has promised that he'll protect you. God has promised that he'll keep you from harm. Go ahead, indulge in some foolishness. Indulge in some reckless living. Throw yourself off the temple. Prove that you're the son of God. And how does Jesus respond to this? Once again, the same thing. He returns to the word of God. This time, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Once again, in the face of temptation, Jesus returns to the scriptures. And we see the same thing happen in the final temptation of the enemy. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of these I'll give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. In this final temptation, the enemy really gets at the heart of Jesus' work as the Messiah. He takes him up to a high place, presumably mimicking sort of a prophetic vision from God. And the enemy, he shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. And it's as if he's saying, look, Jesus, I know why you've come. I know that you've come to rescue all of creation from sin, death, and my power. So take the easy way out. I'll hand them all over to you. If you'll just fall down and worship me. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer and be rejected. Just fall down and worship me and I'll hand these all over to you. Just a little idolatry, no big deal. And once again, in the face of this temptation, how does Jesus respond? 
He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Three times Jesus is tempted. And in each time, how does Jesus respond to temptation? He responds by fleeing to the scriptures. Even the Son of God, the one who is co-equal with the Father, when he faces temptation, what does he rely on as his source of strength in the face of temptation? He relies on the Word of God. He returns to the scriptures in the face of temptation. When he's tempted to feed his desires, when he's tempted to abuse God's promises and indulge in reckless living, and when he's tempted to idolatry, each and every time Jesus returns to the scriptures. So what about you? When you're faced with temptation... How do you deal with it? How do you confront it? How do you fight against it and battle back against temptation? What do you do when you're tempted? When you're tempted to, to feed your desires. Right? When life gets, gets difficult and we're tired and we're stressed and we're feeling weak and vulnerable. And we're tempted to to deal with that stress and deal with life's discomfort by overeating or overdrinking or indulging in too much entertainment or indulging in, in just a little bit of pornography. When we're tempted to do those things, how do we respond to those temptations? When we're tempted to abuse God's promises, tempted to say, you know what, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm forgiven, so I can just indulge in this a little bit. It's no big deal. God will forgive me anyway. Jesus already died for my sins. When you're tempted to do that, how do you respond? What do you do? How do you fight against those temptations? Or when you're you're tempted to practice idolatry, to worship, whether it be those material idols we're so constantly bombarded with, whether it's that idol of of self and self-worth and self-accomplishment and chasing after success and image. When we're tempted to worship idols, how do we respond? How do we battle back against the temptations of the enemy? Are you relying on your willpower? Your strength and your fortitude? Your ability to just, uh, if I just work a little bit harder and grip my teeth a little bit tighter, I can overcome this temptation on my own. Is that how you're responding to temptation? And if that's how you're responding, what do you do when you're feeling weak, tired, worn down, exhausted? Are you dealing with temptation by just sort of resigning yourself to it? I'm a sinner. I'll always be a sinner. I've tried and I've failed too many times and I'm just tired of it. So I'm just going to give in. You just resign yourself to sinful behavior. You just grow apathetic toward resisting temptation. When you're tempted, 
are the desires of the flesh. Tempted to abuse God's promises. Tempted to worship idols. How are you responding? And is it consistent with how Jesus demonstrates for us how we're called to respond to temptation? You see, because here's what Jesus' temptation reveals to us. It reveals to us this fact that God has already given us every single thing we need to battle against temptation. That when we are confronted with the assaults of the evil one, we don't need to rely on ourselves because we know when we look inward, there's only weakness. We don't need to resign ourselves to sin. We don't need to grow apathetic. And we certainly don't need to make excuses for our sin. But what Jesus' temptation reveals for us is we don't have to rely on ourselves. The Son of God didn't even rely on Himself in the face of temptation. But in the face of temptation, we rely on God and His Word. We go back to His promises. We go back to His commandments. And we confront temptation with the Word of God. And we do so not just because there's great advice in here. There certainly is good advice in the Scriptures. And we do so not just because it's this ancient wisdom and these great maxims for good living. But we go back to the Scriptures because of the God who promises to reveal Himself to us in these. We go back to the Scriptures because when we are immersed in the Scriptures, we are reminded once again that we are never alone in temptation. We go back to the Word of God because when we return to the Word of God, the very Word made flesh offers, us to him, offers Himself to us there. The One who has come to overwhelm and overcome temptation, He comes to us when we are immersed in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, our epistle lesson this morning, it says this, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Word of God, it's living, it's active, it's alive, and it does stuff. It's useful. And in the same way that it cuts to the heart and reveals our sins and our temptations, we also use that same Word to battle back against temptation. It is this great tool and this resource for us. It is the gift of God given to us to be the strength of His people. And when we're immersed in the Word of God, the message that we discover over and over and over again is the message of the One who has come to be perfect in the face of temptation for us. Verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is able, unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We have this great high priest. And he's a high priest who's not other than us, but who's just like us. We have this great high priest who's passed through the heaven, who sits at the right hand of God, and he has been tempted just as we have been tempted. There's no temptation you face that Jesus has not faced. The only difference is he has faced it perfectly. And Jesus is not perfect like that annoying kid in class growing up who was perfect on every test and would lord it over the rest of the class. He's not perfect like that. He's not perfect in the face of temptation to lord it over you and to remind you of your faults, but he's perfect in the face of temptation for you. He's perfect in the face of temptation to defeat those things on your behalf. Because he's perfect in the face of temptation, we don't have to be afraid of coming before God asking for strength, asking for mercy, asking for grace in the face of temptation. But instead, we can draw near to God because of Jesus. We can draw near to God because we have a perfect mediator who intercedes on our behalf. We can draw near to God trusting that in the face of temptation, He is present with us, pouring out mercy, pouring out strength that we might overcome those things, and pouring out forgiveness for those times that we fail. So people of God, in the face of temptation, flee to the Word, flee to the Scriptures. Because there is strength offered here. Flee to the word of God in the the face of temptation. Because when you fail, there is forgiveness offered here. People of God, in the face of your trials, in the face of your temptations, flee to the scriptures. Because Christ is present here. Amen?